0: The VS with Jamie and Lee. Get the podcast now on listener. G'day, it's Jamie from The BS here. Now, you might have heard the episode of Behind the Curtain Under Everything Riverina with Mark Grentel. I thought I might post the full chat with Mark here on The BS with Jamie and Lee podcast feed. The Behind the Curtain episode is only about 10 minutes or so long. The full chat was about 20 minutes or so, and we just dove a little bit deeper into some of the stuff that we talked about in there. So have a bit of a listen. Check out all of Mark's work. Of course, The Merger and Backyard Ashes are still streaming on Netflix, and you can uh, watch those anytime. Keep an eye out for me in Backyard Ashes. Keep an ear out for me in The Merger. I'm the voice of Warwick Randall, the Bodger Creek community radio announcer in The Merger. That's me I'm there. And, of course, you can catch Lee and I doing our thing on The BS with Jamie and Lee every weekday morning from 6 till 9 on the River Ennis Triple M, AM 1152, or live right here on the Listener app. I'm catching up with an old mate of mine, a fellow who wears a couple of different hats, Mark Grentel. Thanks for joining me, Mark. No worries, Jayway. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thanks. Now, uh, for the purposes of this podcast, uh, we're talking about the different roles that you've taken on over the course of your career. Now, we've worked together mm. in a bunch of different capacities. I might start mm. with the film side of things. Now, you are yeah. a film director. Tell me a little bit about how that works.
1: Yeah, well, it came about through theatre, actually. I started with you guys in Wagga, um, just making you know, cabaret and stage shows and eventually did a couple of big musicals and got talked into applying to NIDA. Um, and then from there, just sort of worked in a bunch of big musicals, you know, Rock of Ages, Dr. Shivago with you and a few others here and there. Um, and then just always had a passion for film. And Coxie, as my good mate Coxie, had a great idea for a film that we talked about for a long time. And when I was at NIDA, we just decided to write Backyard Ashes. And then I just literally had to Google and read books and figure out how to direct a film. Because I'd actually never done one before, except for our, our lovely little independent uh, films with a handicap That shall never be released. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, it just sort of grew organically from there, man. Like went on that Backyard Ashes journey and just started and that, moved into the merger um, and figured it out. So yeah, that, that was kind of the start of the film thing. Uh, I always had a passion for film. Like I grew up in Urinquenny, where there's like one fish and chip shop that had one wall of VHS videos. I'm sure everyone's familiar with that concept. And that's where I used to watch my movies. I used to go write, rent seven for $10 and watch them and then just get another seven for $10 and watch them. And then, you know, I always knew I'd wanted to do film but didn't really know how. So I just had to teach myself um, and figure it out. And that's where the filmmaker in me sort of came came about.
0: So from that kind of teaching yourself experience, like uh, everyone knows that film directors exist, but not many people know exactly what they do. What's what's (laughs) something that like people wouldn't know about directing a film that became very Mm. apparent to you?
1: It's a good question because it's like, no film's the same either, and the process is completely different with every project that you work on. So the, the true answer is no one really knows uh, until you're in it. There are some core things that you do re- you know, repetitively, obviously, um, within the role, but I think it's incredibly collaborative Um, I kind of expected that, but you're heavily reliant on the expertise of all the other people within your team. So you can't do the acting, you don't know how to work the camera, you're not a DOP, the costume. So it's beautifully collaborative in that way. And you're heavily reliant on the skills and thoughts and opinions of your team. And then your role is, I always see my role as like a conduit, like a filter that everyone just bashes information into my brain. And I just quickly sort it out the best I can and make quick decisions. Using their input and their ideas and, and their knowledge, you know and that's that's kind of the best way I've been able to sum it up over the years.
0: So you're almost like the hub of the wheel. So all the different spokes mm. comes together through you, and then you kind of send the force, I guess, or the uh, the intention or the skill outwards to make the final wheel. That's a very yeah, tortured metaphor, yeah. but
1: no, no, very much so. Like it's, you, you, I think some people are some directors are auteurs where they just want to be in control of every little detail from you know, where it shot to exactly what the color of the paint is to what it is. But I grew up in independent film and theater, so I never had the liberty of just taking my time or even the liberty of choice. It was quite often just whatever was in front of us or whatever we could solve within a 20 to 30 minute window. So my process organically never became about this or that. It just became about solving the problem immediately in front of you. Um, and then just doing that even when you're developing the script or writing the jokes or working with the actors or rehearsing something. You know, that every there's a different string in every bow to every role, and you sort of just have to learn how to play each string, and then if you don't know how to play it, you've just got to learn to listen to the note. I'm going really far into the metaphor here, aren't I? Um, <laughs> to figure it out, and that's, that's kind of how it sort of processes through your brain in a weird way, and that's about the best I've got to being able to comprehend it.
0: And is it true that... Um... When you're the director, you're almost a bit of a go between, between the, the creative side of things, you know, with, with the Mm. actors and with the people making those creative choices and the money people who are funding the project Mm. as
1: well. 100% 100% yeah you have to be like a, a producer friendly director quite often you know depending on the project that you're working with I've, I've been lucky enough to be developing some some potentially bigger stuff lately and it's a very surreal experience to be working with like higher level producing teams because I'm used to like not being able to afford anything so coming up with creative solutions on the fly um, but yeah you, you're always being I've always had to be mindful of budget and cost and solution and I've produced both films. I've co-produced both films with Anne Robertson that I've made and she's definitely the, the lead producer, but you you understand how it works and what's required and, and you know you just can't walk in and ask for like 55 cars um, from the 1950s to be in the background because that's a $30,000 idea, you know, so you have to figure out creative ways to solve things within the realms of your budget and capability, especially when it comes to independent films or things that you're self-financing or doing yourself, which is very much like theatre as well.
0: What's, um, what's something about Uh, film directing that you weren't anticipating enjoying so much? You know, something that you took away from it that you really loved that you had no idea about before you did it?
1: Um, It took me a while to kind of come to terms with it and uh, not to name drop, but I, I was very lucky. I, I've been lucky to meet a couple of really cool people, and, and George Miller's always been one of my filmmaking idols. Like, he, I used to watch Mad Max. That was one of the films I, I rented almost religiously from the Urinquini Fish and Chip Shop. So when I had a chance to sit down with him and talk, he kind of summed me up faster than I could, and he's like, oh, you're very curious, aren't you? And I was like, am I? And he's like, yeah, like, you've done all these things that you have no idea how to do, And no real training or or depth of training or knowledge in and yet you've had to figure them all out on the fly. And he's like, the only way you can do that is just by being continually curious, you know, and and going, ah, how does that work? Or how do I solve that problem? Or "Or how do you do your job? And then being able to process that quickly and then help them do their job to help me do my job, if you know what I mean. Mm. So curiosity was like something I never actually thought about at all, and then it took, obviously, a master of cinema who's done everything. Also <laughs> in a medical doctor. 30 seconds doctor. or less. A medical doctor, too, yeah. He's pretty sharp on his toes and his brain. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, when someone holds a mirror up to you after a quick conversation, and he's, he's obviously seen a lot of creatives and filmmakers come and go over the, you know, 50-plus years of his career. So uh, it was a weird conversation I had one day where he was like, yeah, curiosity is central to your process, isn't it? And I was like, ah, yeah, it turns out it is. <laughs>
0: Yeah, wow, and uh, I mean, it, it sort of feeds nicely into the second part of your career, I guess, the, the more mm. recent part, uh, where you've moved into things like virtual production and uh, mm. the gaming space and stuff like that with the companies that you've started, with people that you met doing Backyard Ashes in The
1: Merger. Yeah, so I mean, that's the beauty of an artistic life, you know, is, is the people that you work with is the key thing that you love most about your job. Like, I love working with actors because I think they have an ability to interpret life and emotion in a way that very few do and we underrate that skill very often in our culture Um, same as we do with all arts you know the ability to interpret something creatively or take a very complex idea and then just represent it in front of you and and you don't know how you do it but it happens is such an it's almost like osmosis really that most people don't understand themselves so i get really excited you yeah, working in that process. And then one of those people I met was Rick Pierce, who I started Spectre Studios with five years ago. Rick was actually, I met him on a film shoot for a TV, a TV commercial that I was acting in, believe it or not. And he was a cameraman. And I said, I'm making a feature film. He said, I've always wanted to be on a camera team. And I was like, come be on mine. And that's where our journey started 10 years ago, you know. And he was the one of the camera operators for Backyard Ashes. and And then he came to me five years ago and said, hey, we should start looking at virtual reality and gaming. And I was like, yeah, cool, I'm down. Like, so we bought a laptop. And we met up at the cafe in Bondo Junction um, every day. So weeks and weeks and weeks until we built the company into what is what was now Spectre Studios. And then we went on a massive journey with that. And, and now, we're, um, now we're Vision Studios working in virtual production. So, yeah, you, you work with these collaborators who have these really great – and Rick's got an immensely creative and technical mind. He really understands technology and tech and how things connect and how workflows work and – and so I'm, I'm just curious enough to take his knowledge and expertise and my ability to work with people and teams and and in the end we've we've managed to build a few companies and and work in some innovative fields.
0: yeah, I mean I know having done a bit of work with both of you yeah. not just in that film space but in this this newest part of it in the uh, you know the the gaming space and the mm. online space it's it's really interesting to see where it's going so on that uh, obviously you said you started off with uh, Spectre doing that more traditional production stuff and now it's evolved into a couple of other things just talk me through a little bit about what's happening in that space currently
1: yeah yeah well well, specter we sort of built this great capability across virtual reality using unreal engine as our sort of primary tool and that links into gaming and design and a whole other ranges that you can use this bit of software for um and we sort of just built up a team and a capability and we were fortunate enough to have that company acquired um, with some, uh, by some friends of ours from Virtually Human Studios. And, and we spent last year going on a crazy ride with those guys, helping them build their capacity and, and make some awesome stuff. And, and now that we've finished that part of the process, we've moved forward this year and we have um, Vision, which does like virtual production. So we work with feature films and television commercials to use um, Unreal Engine as a tool, to basically do real-time green screen is an easy way to explain it for visual effects, and then we uh, we have a company called Replica that does digital twins because that's a really interesting space of creating digital copies of. Pretty much everything that we touch and use in the world, whether it be a building or real estate for architects or cars or boats or roads or city planning or event planning, you can make digital twins and activate them and interact with them and, and help you just find efficiencies in, in numerous ways. And then the we took the VR side and created Emergency, which does VR training for like medical and, and uh, military and, and police and first responders. And, and you can simulate scenarios in virtual reality to help train people for those scenarios quickly and more efficiently so you know it's it's amazing how quick tech evolves and how each piece of that tech can kind of connect like a puzzle to solve a problem for you know uh, something in a a business or in in society in another way Mm.
0: it's got to be interesting to be working in that space where there's really no such thing as just films or just video games anymore they're all kind Mm. of intertwined and interweaved in interesting ways
1: yeah, Deb, we've always talked about that convergence of those two spaces. And I guess you've been a gamer your whole life too. So, you know, oh, yeah. well, you've seen the fidelity increase, you know, you've seen the characters, you've seen the narrative. Like The Last of Us is a great example. We played that game, whatever, 10 years ago mm. and everyone was, wow, this is an amazing story. And it really pulled you in like a film, but yet it was a video game. And now here it is blitzing the world as a TV series, and all the gamers are like, yeah, duh, we know. Like, you know <laughs> so you're seeing story work in another medium, and now you're seeing the fidelity with Unreal Engine 5 and um, all this technology and the hardware improvements with NVIDIA and, and their graphics cards. You're just seeing this kind of build, and, and now we've got a layer of AI coming in and, and exciting and freaking people out all over the world. So I don't know. It's, just in, it's in human nature to evolve and develop tech. Um, and, and you're watching this convergence between what used to be a video game, and now you've seen, like, the Matrix demo from last year. It looks like the Matrix did in 1998, but it's run on a video game engine. Yeah. So try explaining that to the common folk. Yeah, incredible. They have no idea what a computer is or where to turn it on. You know, it's it, it melts my brain most days trying to keep up with, the rate of change and and what we're capable of doing with the technology. And I I still think we're just scratching the surface of it.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, I I come from my initial um, background is in broadcast TV in the videotape era. So the the whole idea that you can use a video game engine like Unreal 5 to do real-time tracking of a camera so that you can have a screen behind an actor that shows Mm -hmm. a realistic 3D background that moves at the same time the camera operator does... (laughs) to keep it in perspective is mind-blowing to me
1: it's mind-boggling i know we used to play video games now we can literally connect a video game to a camera and operate a camera technically inside the video game if you know what i mean Mm. it's and then what we used to shoot on blue screen or green screen and then replace in post-production we can do in real time as we're filming and we're just at the beginning of what's really capable in that space too so you know and that's changing how actors interact with the sets and how creatives design and develop and how we interact and then you add a layer of ai like that with chat gpt and suddenly the creative process starts to change and you know it's you have to learn how to create using that tool just like you had to learn to do math with a calculator you know like it's 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 a fascinating time in in the technological history um that we're at and and i still think given another decade and, and i don't even know what kind of conversations we'll be having because i didn't think we'd be having these ones five years ago when i started <laughs> down this path
0: <laughs> well that kind of brings me to my next and um, last question is that you did say it's kind of still relatively in its infancy that the technology and the artistry in that space where mm. do you see it going from here and where do you see yourself working in that space in the next five oh, 10 man, years
1: it's a great question, but honestly, like this could be a two-hour conversation that we just pontificate on what's possible. Because I feel like we're kind of we're in a position where literally anything is kind of possible. It's just really a case of how long it's going to take. Like I don't think AI and and real-time tech is going anywhere. Like it's it's going to integrate into everything we do, just like the internet did, just like every bit of technology we've ever created. So I think we're just going to continue to see kind of exponential growth um, uh, in that area. Where it goes, I don't know. You know, digital twins has so much capability already. Like um, where you can just plan out whole things, or you can replicate a digital version of yourself that that looks photorealistic to who you are now. And it's not unforeseeable that in the future you could easily scrape all of your social media and internet interactions and form some sort of personality, like through an AI that could inhabit that digital genie way. You Black know, and in that's Black just Mirror. A freak. Like in Black Mirror, exactly, but and that that thing w- runs around the world doing stuff. That's just one crazy idea that may or may not be possible, but it's it's not a, it doesn't sound unlikely. Yeah. Um, and then you know, in VR training, like you know, you, you can run this all the way through to Star Trek level holodeck stuff if you really want to, and 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 it's not hard to envision when you look at virtual production now and VR and you go well, it's really just like the holodeck, right? Like, we're kind of getting close to that space. There's a, there's a lot of hurdles to get over, right? But that's kind of the vision people seem to have in their head of where we're heading towards. And and to answer, like, where do I see myself in this space? Like, I, I love playing in this space. But the cool thing about it is there's so many incredibly young, talented people. Like, our staff are just... Straight out of school, did a couple of years at a you know AIE or some other interactive arts place, and they've just got this incredible understanding of computers, and technology, and how to express themselves or or extract value from that um, as well. So you get to work with these amazingly talented people who can just pretty much make anything given enough time and money <laughs> um, yeah. to go through. So hopefully, I'm still working with people like that, and but my long term goal is that I still still love where I grew up and and where I came from in Wagga and and I've still got a really strong spot for regional areas and and indigenous um, cultures and trying to make these opportunities available to people in those areas as quickly as possible because, you know, it's now accessible. Like you can easily work in Unreal Engine if you live in Dubbo or Wagga or Wolga. It doesn't matter, you know, like if you've got the willpower and you've got the means or access to a PC, then you can you can work in these areas and you can build these worlds and you can contribute to this this industry. You yeah. know, so that's exciting, and just, there's no barriers uh, internationally for that as well for kids in remote areas.
0: It really does seem like uh, the technology has gotten a lot more democratic, hasn't it? The fact that it's so yeah. accessible at such a relatively low level—you know, you don't need that beefy a laptop to run certain yeah. programs or anything. Most of them do can it run on a anyway. Harvey
1: Norman laptop. Yeah. yeah, Harvey Norman laptop and Unreal Engine is free to download, and there is like hundreds of hours of tutorials given away for free online. And there are great paid tutorials you can do, too, to, to become proficient in these skills and, and start a whole new career that you can do working from home but work for major game companies all around the world or, or you know, it's stunning. It's and, and those barriers, I think post-COVID people are becoming really aware of that, um, too, is that you have a skill and, and the computer can be a sort of a window into, into a way that you can still create and be part of this, this industry. Um, and, and it's all free and accessible, which is great. Like, you know, for for people to get started, there's less and less barriers of entry.
0: Mm. It's exciting to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Like, you have some strange conversations and, and you get in front of some amazing people who just think in some really inspiring ways. Like, you know, really different ways in, in how people approach things, whether it's computer logic or it's a programmer who you know, you're having a very unusual conversation with, but you start to pull the pieces together. Like sometimes I'm talking to tech people that I feel like I'm in a tech podcast, but it's just a, it's a real meeting. (laughs) They're like, oh, I actually have to talk here. I I should respond. But they're they're just super impressive brains. And I think we're just understanding tech and how to use tech on a a really interesting level now and and getting smarter with, with how we use it and what it can actually do. And the next generation is just going to take that ball and run with it like crazy anyway. So it's going to be exciting to watch where that goes.
0: Yeah, exactly. The, the people who are sort of growing up with that tech just native to their yeah. lives. You know, as, as you mentioned right up at the start of the chat, we started off making mm. things on videotape handycams.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that yeah. was
0: our kind of native level of tech. And now the people who are growing up with this stuff as the normal, who knows mm. whether it's, where they're going to make it end up.
1: And I didn't even find an Xbox or a video game console except for, like, what, a Sega Master System or something until I was 10 or something. Yet, I know for a fact your son, Logan, and and, and my kids are already on the newest series of Xbox and PlayStation, and they're much better than we are, and they just started kindergarten. Oh, yeah. So. The tools that they have
0: accessible to them on their iPads or their Android tablets or yeah. whatever are light years ahead of, you know, the professional TV studio that I used to work at when I was 20. Yeah.
1: Yep, and they just take to that technology yep. like it's very little issue and, and they're, they're, that's where they're going to build their professional value. Like those, that understanding how those things work and how it can be used and how it connects into the society and, and the economy that we, that we need to move forward, that's where they're going to look to extract their value. I get calls every week from ambitious young kids who are desperate to get into the video game space and want to figure out where and how and, and that's just going to keep happening because – all these kids are interacting with their phones and technology and gaming consoles and now their cars are like computers as well. Like it's just an inevitable process that we're just gonna learn to grow and evolve into and, and it'll have its ups and downs and it'll have its scary moments but you know, I, I think it's inevitable. And, and if you do it in the right way, I think it opens up opportunities that never once existed for people in, in lots of areas, particularly in regional areas, which I'm particularly passionate about.
0: Yeah, fantastic. No, I, I thoroughly agree. And uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of where everything ends up, not due, not in small part, to innovators like yourself.
1: Yeah, you've just got to kind of, you know, I guess it it, it kind of always that curiosity thing always sticks with me since I I had that spat at me. And and it really is the key thing. Like you've got the internet and now you've got AI if you're just curious, all the answers are there. Like anything that you want to work in, if you want to help innovate in this space or you want to build a capability, like all the answers are there. You just got to be curious enough to go find the information and figure out a way to apply it. You know, and and then the potential from there is, is unlimited. Like, 20 years ago, I had to sell my first car and fly to New York just to see some theatre on a, on a major level. You know, that was the only way I could get into theatre was to sell my car and live in um, New York for a year so I could go see some shows on Broadway. Now I can just download them on my phone. You know, like, so the, the information's there, and if you've got the aptitude and you've got the drive and you've got the skill, then there's really nothing stopping you from accessing everything that we've spoken about today and more, and everyone who's coming up below me is 10 times smarter than, than I was um, they've just got to flick on that curiosity switch and just, you know, go find what it is that drives them or makes them wake up happy in the morning.
0: Perfect place to wrap it up. Mark Rental, thanks for go. giving us a glimpse behind the curtain of not only filmmaking but production and where the technology is going into the 21st century and beyond. Thanks for your time.
1: My pleasure. The BS with Jamie and Lee. On Listener, or weekdays from 6 on the Riverinas 1152 Triple M.